It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda. The 191 Renault Runway Sales Event is now on until Saturday, November 10th at your local Renault dealer, Blackstone Motors Drogheda. Come visit us this weekend for great offers, including low finance, cashback and three-year servicing. You're very welcome to Friday Afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Great to have you with us on the show this afternoon. God's blown a gale out there, isn't it? Batten down the hatches. Be careful wherever you are uh, this Friday and do take care. Stay with us for the next couple of hours because I promise you a very interesting conversation. A little bit later on, one of the most popular men ever to call into Late Lunch is here. Tommy Fleming's in the house and he has a new album out and we're going to have a chat with Tommy later. And we round off our focus on apprenticeships uh, this week. It is National Apprentice Week and we've been talking to different apprentices right through the week. And today it's pipe laying. What's that all about? We'll find out after three. Now, my first guest today is someone I've always regarded as a thought-provoking journalist and writer, whether you agreed or disagreed with his point of view. In the run-up to the marriage equality referendum, he was defamed by a prominent pro-equality campaigner and subsequently resigned from the Irish Times, where he'd been for 24 years. There's no keeping a good man down as John Waters returns with his ninth book called Give Us Back the Bad Roads. John, you're very welcome to Late Lunch. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining me. The title of the book, let's get straight into this, really says it all. You bemoan this Ireland of the 21st century for a plethora of reasons. Yet we're all led to believe, John, ah, we never had it so good. I know, I know. And and people are actually pummeled and indoctrinated with this idea that whether they like it or not, whether they know it or not, this is the best thing for them. And uh, I just don't agree with that at all. And that's not been my experience. And that's essentially why I wrote the book. I mean, the title is not literal. I mean, it's it's a kind of a metaphorical title, you know, uh, give us back the bad roads. It's a cry of exasperation, I suppose. And uh, deeper than that is probably uh, saying, well, you know, we need to go back. You know, C.S. Lewis People often think, you know, now I've, I've actually found, whereas once I was regarded as a lefty, now I'm regarded as a reactionary and, and traditionalist and right-winger and conservative. And actually, that isn't the case. I mean, I'm, I would say, a very eccentric, um, radical person. And uh, uh, C.S. Lewis had a thing where he said about being progressive, you know, progressiveness. He said, when, you know, because this is what these people call themselves, they're progressives. And he says, you know... When you're, everybody wants progress, but when you're on the wrong road, the most progressive person is the one that goes backwards fastest. And that's me, you know, because I think that's where we we are now. I mean, uh, this is what the book is really about. Mm. And I'm trying to say, uh, give us back, go back to the point when we were relatively certain that we were on the right road. 
you know, and there were bad roads that we were on then. For when sure. did we go off the right road and onto the wrong road? Is there a point in time that you can say the Ireland of the aspiration that liberty was oh, fought for happened? No, when? Well, no, it's a very interesting question. I think there's actually probably two points, and I can't really identify the first. The first is way back in time, maybe in the 60s, probably 70s when all of these ideologies started to filter in from outside and be taken up by students and academics and journalists and all that and being fed then intravenously into the public culture of Ireland. Uh, and that's been slowly happened. That was no problem. You know, you could deal with that mm. in terms of democratic discourse and debate. That was all part of the mix and I, I was part of that. And I did, in the Irish Times from 1990 onwards, combat that. And, and, you know, I was always on the other side of those arguments for reasons we might go into, you know, how that started for me. But, but, but then there's another point, And this is a far more, I, I think dramatic and drastic point. And I, I, I can't exactly say it was, but I can say approximately that it happened sometime. It's almost like a rupture, a moment of rupture, you know, that occurred uh, soundlessly. Perhaps about six years ago, five, six years ago, about 2013. My mother died in 2012. And that year, as far as I can recall it, and I recall it very graphically, you know, was a year that it was fairly within the normal course of events of Ireland for for that time. By 2014, I believe we had gone off the rails completely. And, and the ways that I identify that would be that it was no longer possible to have a democratic conversation. That the, the, the certain people who wanted certain things had decided that this idea that people could sit around discussing what should or should not happen whether they agreed with things or did not agree with things. That was all passé. You know, that couldn't be allowed to continue because that was holding them up. And, and that we had to get on with their agenda and forget about our country or how we saw it or how we wanted it to be and simply do what we were told. And that, started, that really came in with a vengeance before the so-called marriage equality. I, call it, I don't call it marriage equality. It wasn't. That was just a, a makey-up title, you know. It was basically a, a, a taking a sledgehammer to the constitutional protection of the family, of parenting and of, of marriage. And uh, that was, uh, you know, fundamentally... Th- the cause of the rupture. So you're saying that at that stage it became apparent that if you were on the other side, or in any argument, there are two sides always. Yes. One, this side, this liberal agenda side who, well, you know, drove these changes in the country, you couldn't put your head above the parapet. Was that it? They'd sh- shout you down? That, you were Well, broadly, and, and I suppose as a sketch, it's not bad. I mean, although I don't think that there's simply two sides to any argument. There right. are a multiplicity, okay. multiplicity of sides <laughs> yeah. to arguments. I mean, you know, people, this is what they try to do. If you don't agree with us, you're reactionary. Yeah. We're progressive. So Polarise it. Yes. So, I mean, uh, you know, the, the question of, of the gay marriage thing, uh, I hadn't actually made any serious intervention. I had made some mutterings uh, about why it was. This was suddenly out of nowhere. Out of nowhere, like. Becoming a priority. Like, it was a chapter in the book where I go through the, the archives of the Irish Times and, and, and see, because, like, they attacked me. I was working for them, but they were attacking me on the basis that I didn't seem to agree with this radical and, and wonderful new proposal to, for, to, for allow, to allow gays to be married. And you would think from what they were, the way they were behaving that they had been campaigning assiduously for this for about 150 years, maybe from the very beginnings of the newspaper. 
But when you go back to the archives, you don't find that at all. You find virtually nothing before 2012 about this subject. An odd article here and there, which is about civil unions up to that point, and, and maybe then one or two very eccentric articles. One actually by a friend of mine, a gay man... Jerry McNamara back in 1995 a great guy a wonderful guy and he was right and he wrote and he wrote about it very cynically and, and but it, it was kind of a you know he wasn't particularly enamoured of the idea of marriage in any sense you know because he was a radical uh, gay man and, and, and uh, he they, those guys don't, don't see themselves as being part of mainstream respectable culture they're countercultural you know and I, he and I got on very well and so I mean to talk about this as though you see what they tried to set up was that the only way you'd be opposed to this was because you hated gays that you were a homophobe and this was the this is the, what they were looking for to find scapegoats that they could daub with this mm. this uh, 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 epithet um, but in fact you know my position was I had been advocating I'd been for 20 years I mean whatever you know there are no articles about in the Irish Times very much about uh, gay marriage but there are a hell of a lot of articles about fathers and the treatment of them in family courts and about male suicide uh, and, and all these related subjects and men's health and, and so on and the reason they're there is because I wrote them and I was talking about this for years and I could see this coming that if that it, you know that, that the politicians who are now pushing gay marriage were the ones who had basically turned their backs on me and sniggered at the very idea that they might extend rights to fathers of any kind, uh, post-divorce or single fathers and so on. And here they were suddenly becoming, you know, uh, radical uh, progressives on this other question. Because why? Because there was a global ideological movement with huge resources showing a deep interest and sudden interest in Ireland. And they wanted to be on side for that. Tell me this. You know, you mentioned the times it didn't happen for years. What happened? Did people just suddenly speak up that new people come into the times that, you know, had this agenda? What? It came from outside. This suddenly was announced from outside. You see, this, okay. is, this is part of the team. And of the people book. took it up within the yeah. times and ran with it then, you're saying? This is how it works, Jerry. You see, like, these things are all uploaded on, on a kind of a programme that you might call cool. You know, and that's the way it works that you're, it is insinuated to you that if you want to be a cool guy and a kind of person, you have to support all these agendas. It's nothing to do with social justice, because you can see the test is, well, OK, if you're in favour of social justice for, for gay people, you know, uh, that's fine. Why are you not also in favour of social justice for single fathers? Well, if you're not, then you're not in favour of social justice. Sorry, you're in, you're in favour of something else, but it's not social justice. And uh, uh, I, in fact, I, I would say that, uh, you know, overwhelmingly, the issue of what's happened to fathers in, in Irish society and continues. Like one in three children in Ireland are born out of wedlock. Uh, and that's just on, in the category of single fathers. And that's been the case for 10, 15 years. So we're talking about a hell of a lot of people. A significant cohort of families in Ireland are not protected by the law uh, for their most fundamental rights. Mm. And yet we're, being making, we're making up rights for groups that really you know, don't have any claim on parenthood, on marriage, or any of this stuff. That's, that was my objection. But I didn't actually raise that objection, to be honest. I know. Yeah, see, because I'll tell you, I had turned down hundreds, mm. and I'm not exaggerating, hundreds of requests from radio, television uh, people to get involved in debates about homosexuality, gay marriage, etc. This is coming up to 20 
2014 and 2013 it started to really ramp yes. up then you see and I just turned them all down because I said I didn't have any particular uh, position on homosexuality people think because I'm a Catholic that that was where my position came from but it actually didn't come from there at all I have no particular uh, view about the social uh, 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 context in relation to gay people arising from religious You were drawn position. into this, though, uh, by oh, Rory O'Neill, uh, well, a.k.a. Well, Panty Bliss, I was, who it, ultimately, and, and this is, uh, it's been to the, to, with the law people and that, you, you were defamed, so you were, and you yes. had to go and, and seek remedy on that, well, which I, you eventually got, but you, you, you didn't look, you weren't looking for money for this, you were no, looking for them to apologise. No, well, we simply asked them. I, 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 I was the one, I mean, I was on my own, but uh, Iona people were in the same frame, uh, uh, Iona Institute, David Quinn and people like that were implicitly, and Breed O'Brien, also a colleague of mine, the Irish Times, were implicitly attacked in this interview with Brendan O'Connor between Brendan O'Connor and uh, um, O'Neill. And, and um, a, the word homophobe came up and was not withdrawn. Now, that's to me, that was like a red light immediately because I know what that was. I, I've, I've looked into this. This is an attempt to demonise somebody and to marginalise them from discussion. Uh, and I also recognised the context for it because uh, even though I hadn't been out, he, he said I'd been out every night, more or less, attacking his happiness or some such thing. Uh, and um, that was not true. But there was an article I'd written precisely the day before, which was really about a meeting that I'd been at, a public meeting in which I'd been in the, on the Broadcasting Authority at the time. And, and there was various lobby groups there who were making their cases to the Broadcasting Authority. And and, uh, and, and as I heard them, one by one, and there was like people from Climate Change, there was a guy, a PR guy from Fine Gael, and they all had the same team. And the team was this, gay marriage. They, it was a gay man as well, he made a speech. And, and um, was all, they had the same uh, demand that they not be required to go through debates in relation to the issues that they wanted to promote. The climate change guy said, oh, this is all, we're way beyond this now, we shouldn't have climate deniers, climate change deniers on, and we shouldn't be having to debate with them. Gay marriage said, oh, we've had opinion polls about gay marriage, everybody agrees with us, we shouldn't have debates. And I stood up and I said, well, no, hang on, the, the Constitution is the will of the people, and the Constitution says what marriage is, and, 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 and so on. So, you know, yes, you can change it, but you have to go through this procedure, which is a debate, a public debate, in which the Irish people have the right to defend their constitution against change if they want to. And, and that's what democracy is. And I wrote this up. That happened before Christmas that year. And this, this was on the 11th of January, this interview was. And I'd written it on, I think, the 10th. It was just one day before I published belatedly this account of that meeting. That was what provoked it. So essentially what provoked it was me having the gall to suggest that we should have a proper debate about this question of changing marriage in its most fundamental lessons. I just want to move on from the whole Pantygate thing and, and that referendum, but just before I do, one last thing. Um, you, you come back to this a lot in the book, John, yeah. several times, and I just sat there and thought, have you lanced the boil? Are you done with it? Well, I don't think that was the point of the book, really. I mean, what this is really is... I, I was, in a certain sense, fortunate in this whole episode in that I had a ringside seat on seeing a very deep experience, a personal experience, of how these people operate. I mean, I was fortuitous in actually being able to be there and have this happen to me and have my life turned upside down by these people and to be able to give people a blow-by-blow account so they can see the reality of what these people are like and what they're trying to do to our country. And essentially, what I'm telling people is that this is post-democratic that these people are not interested in democracy and that the results they have obtained have been obtained fraudulently, illegally, 
immorally as a result of bullying, of demonization, and of lies, and of interference in all kinds of ways with this democratic but let system. Me, let me put this to you. <clears throat> Ultimately, you can say all that, but when the vote happened and the Irish people decided, John, yes. you have to accept they decided oh, yeah. to go with marriage equality, to you oh, know, yeah, yeah, pass, yeah. Uh, amend the constitution oh, well, I mean, on it's, abortion. It's in the co- yes, it is, but, but I, there, there, there are different chapters in this. So there's one chapter I deal with the nature of propaganda. People have no idea what propaganda is, and I explained to them what propaganda is. So were you saying, basically, that people were brainwashed? Yes. It was a concerted For effort? Certain. For certain. And, and, and then, do you not respect or understand people's intelligence, or leave that up to them? If you understand how propaganda works, it isn't as intelligent, doesn't enter into it. I mean, the problem is that we have a media which is out of control. Our national media is completely out of control. 99% of, the me- of journalists in Dublin in the national broadcaster, in all the radio stations up there, in all of the... I'm not so sure about down the country because, you know, I'm not familiar with each one and, uh, all the time, but uh, I was watching all those and, and, I mean, I know that situation intimately over the years. Yeah, you know, there was a handful of people on the other side of all those discussions and they were treated app- appallingly in most instances, including myself, whenever we tried to raise arguments and to try to, to debate this openly in, 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 on radio and television. Uh, this is not the way media should behave. I explain what happened to me in the Irish Times. I was a journalist in the Irish Times for 24 years, a, a columnist. Uh, I served the newspaper, I think, very well. And uh, um, when this started... They, far from actually defending the fact that I was doing at all times what I was being paid to do, I was doing my job, they said, let's set their dogs to war upon me and let them rip me to shreds because I had the wrong opinion. When you run a newspaper or a radio station, there is no such thing as a wrong opinion. You are there to provide platforms for people so they can discuss, discuss things so that the outcome will be the right opinion. Whatever that may be, but when you have an outcome in circumstances such as this, you cannot definitively say that it is the right result. Which brings me on to something in a wider context. So Trump keeps saying fake news. Let's stay with this for a moment. He keeps saying fake news. Yes. Does that tie in with what you're saying, or is that a different thing entirely? It's, it's not a different thing, uh, although it's a kind of a, it's, it's an oversimplification. Um, I know I know what he's trying to do. He, Trump operates in slogans, and, and I tend not to. Uh, I wouldn't use that kind of phrase mm. because it's something that becomes meaningless or with overuse. You see, but you can certainly say that the media in America is out out of control now as well in a different way because overwhelmingly. The media there, I, I get feeds or uh, digests from a lot of American magazines and publications. Every day I'm bombarded with three or four articles in each one like about Trump. And it's like at the level of most of the time, Trump didn't polish his shoes this morning or some such. You know, it, it, that's the level of it. It's like they are so hostile to the president of the United States that they're incapable. Even if he were to suddenly start becoming the best president of the United States ever, nobody would know because they wouldn't tell them because they wouldn't be able to see it themselves. And that's what I'm talking about, the level of institutionalized bias that happens in journalism because of certain questions, whether it's Trump, whether it's gay marriage, whether it's abortion, has distorted journalism and rendered it meaningless. And not alone meaningless, actually it's not meaningless, it's worse than meaningless because it's actually damaging. We would be better off with no journalism than what we have now in Ireland. My God, that it's a hell of a statement you make there. I mean every word of it. It's, I'm serious. We do not have journalism. The, the, 
media are supposed to be the force of state. And again, I say I'm not I'm not commenting. It would take me a couple of years going around Ireland listening to the radio stations and local at a local mm, level. Mm. I suspect they're much better. I, I that's my that was certainly the case twenty years ago when I or, you know ten years ago when I was a broadcasting authority. I was fairly familiar. And I knew the good stations and I knew the bad ones. And there were a hell of a lot of good stations. And the provincial papers do their job too at a local level. I'm talking about the mainstream national media. The news, the newspapers, they, they, like RTE, the national broadcaster. I mean, it shouldn't have bias. It shouldn't be a question that, you know, when, when, when I was liable, that they just simply said, that was a mistake, sorry. Instead, they try to hide behind a Twitter mob to try to say, well, you know, maybe we'll get away with it if they, this guy gets scared off. I said, well, no, you know, let's have a debate. They wanted a debate about free speech then. And I said, OK, we'll have a debate about free speech, but let's have it on the High Court. And it's been more interesting there. And that's when things started to change. So yes, that, that shouldn't be necessary. This is the point. And, and <clears throat> so we have journalists who are not journalists. We have media who are not the fourth estate. The, the fourth estate, is the, the, the media is a very interesting thing, you know, because, the, you know, throughout history there have been different... F- f- pillars of democracy and they generally agree to be four at any given time and so they might be the government the parliament the media the church or whatever it would be the judiciary would be the, now the church wouldn't be one anymore but it was at one point the media's always there because that's what conducts the conversation which, on which democracy depends but it's actually in a very anomalous situation because whereas the others are all parliament uh, government uh, courts are all more or less state institutions they're certainly at that level. The media is generally privately owned. So it's an anomalous situation. So it works on the basis of checks and balances and, you know, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And in America, for all its faults, you have actually a counterculture. You have voices, you know, against what the mainstream media, the New York Times and the Washington Post do. Uh, but in Ireland, you don't. There's no counterculture now in Ireland. There's only one voice. Uh, and that's the same. The Irish Independent, the Irish Times, the Examiner, they're the same as News Talk and RT. There's no difference. Jerry, it's fantastic to hear a straight talker on radio. John Waters, you're a legend. A message coming into us there by text this afternoon. Thank you indeed, indeed for that. Let me talk to you about something that actually uh, stuck me to the chair or stopped me in a, my tracks when I read it in the book because I considered what you had to say. You talk about these two rooms now in Ireland and we'll talk about the middle bit in a moment. Two rooms, at the, a room at the start of life and the room at the end of life. Now let's talk a bit about the, the start of life one and small children. Well, this, this, this is the room in the crèche, you know, where, you know, you go in and, and, and you see these babies sitting on mats or sleeping maybe for an hour on mats and, and, and from maybe... 7.30 in the morning until 7 at night and being looked after by strangers and um, it's heartbreaking to see you know I mean I, I, I remember actually when my daughter Roisin was little like I remember going over to pick her up in London one time and being divert, you know redirected down the road to this to such a place and it horrified me you know it horrified me to see a little girl there sleeping among strange children and uh, and uh, so, so that that so I had this idea that at the very start of life we're, we have this room that is almost like preparing you for a, f- a life of alienation or something or a life of, of not get your, don't get your expectations of what this society owes you or will give you or you know, that's, so there's a lot to be said about that. You know, so that, that room, room, John, an awful lot of people have to use it because there's, yes. they need 
two salaries coming into a house to keep a roof over yes. their heads. Well, that, this is very interesting because uh, I, I say to people, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful, like, you know, our young people, I mean, I, young people are idealistic and, and even though, you know, there would be, a lot of them would be on different sides of the arguments I'm talking about than I would be. I, I would have a lot of sympathy for them because they're idealistic and the, the problem here is that their idealism has been redirected into the wrong things by propaganda and by bullying and on by all kinds of things. What do you mean? You have to own a house, is that Well, no, no, but, I, I, but wouldn't it be better if they were able to to actually look more cleanly at what's actually going on. The idea of owning a house, like, you know, when we were kids, you know, my father and, and, and two or three of his friends could get together and build a house for somebody in three weeks. And it would cost maybe a couple of weeks' wages between the whole lot of them. Now, we're told to have a, house, a roof over your head, you have to pay a roughly 25% of two incomes for about 30 years. Now, how did that actually come about? This is the issue. People are being enslaved by a system that is not, that they're told is inevitable, that they're told is naturalistic, that it is the only way things can be. But it's actually completely artificial. And it is constructed not for the benefit of people, but for the benefit of, of big banks. Can I say that I lived in a rented house with my mother and father and they paid it off. It was built by a local authority and they had no big mortgage. Yeah. And eventually, after a long, long time, they were given the option to buy, but at a very reasonable I, sum. I never heard the word mortgage in my house growing up. My father, I'd say, never used to utter that word in his life. He never borrowed money. He always saved money for whatever he wanted. And he bought, if he wanted to change house, and we moved a couple of times, he would just simply save the money and buy the house. So, John, is the ideal scenario to have one person, if you are a family, mother and father and children, to have one person at home and one well, I think for for a family, uh, that that would be ideal in a different context. I, I'm talking about a different context. Yes, I mean that's a different argument, and 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 of course, you know, given the situation, it is necessary for people to have two people mm. out. Mother, mother and father need to be out in order to pay for this. My point is, this does not need to be the way it is. And if we were not being distracted by nonsense all the time, being pummeled, pumped our way by politicians who know exactly what they're doing, we would be able to have conversations that would actually get to the bottom of why our system has to be like this because I know it hasn't. So go to the other end of life. We'll talk about the middle part yeah. in the minute where you and I are stuck at the at the moment and heading towards well, that. Well, yeah, we're heading to the other room. Uh, that other room. Talk yeah. about... Well, I, about you know, I think all of us that, uh, you know, who are, who are uh, still at liberty, if you like, uh, have had to walk, go into these places in different contexts. Uh, I was lucky in the sense that my mother died at home and, and we managed to keep her out of, of, of the old folks' home, as they're called. Uh, uh, and and I, I'm very glad about that because any time I've gone into those places they I have to take to the bed myself for about a couple of days to get over the absolute um, desolation that I feel for those poor people who have lived all their lives in this country and contributed to this country and built this country up and they're seated around the wall uh, the perimeter of a room you know and Mark Cagney is shouting at them from the corner and there isn't a word exchanged between them they're probably doped up to their ears and I go in and, and, and there's no conversation, you know. And if you get involved, it takes a while to, for them to tow out, you know. Now, I, I had to visit n- n- numerous people in different contexts through the years in those places. And they're horrific places. I don't want to end up in one of those places. Most people, don't, if they know what they're like, don't want to end up in them. And that's, that was not the way when I was growing up. It was always in every home there was a granddad or a grandmother and they would be sitting on the windowsill knitting or smoking their pipe or whatever it was and they, they were respected in the community because they had done their work for their life and they were there to be 
looked after by their people and by their community. And that's all gone now because nobody has time to look after people. Nobody has time to listen to people. We, our culture is constructed to shut people out. The people who, who value this country for its great wealth of tradition and, 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 and wisdom and, 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 and so on are shunted aside and not listened to in these debates, so-called debates. But moreover they are simply, as soon as possible, moved off to the county home with equivalent. Remember when we were kids, like, the idea of the county home was the greatest horror. Oh, my word, I remember it being spoken about even here. Yeah. There was a name on a place uh, here in town, and once you mentioned that name... I remember, Jerry. Uh, I mean, I don't, I, this isn't in the book, I don't think, uh, I, although I have written it somewhere. Uh, there was a woman called Miss Conway who lived two doors up from us, like an old woman. And she was a bit of a battle axe in ways, like, but we were a bit scared of her. But I'll never forget the day she was renting her house and there was another old woman who owned the house who basically evicted her. And the ambulance came to collect Miss Conway one day and take her to the county home. They had to drag her out of her own house, out of her own home, and drag her into the back of the ambulance. And like the screams of her, you could hear them two miles away. That has stayed with me all my life. That was the beginning of a, of a sense of Ireland like that. I, I, I thought there's a darkness here that, that we need to start thinking about. And that darkness has got worse and worse and worse and worse. Uh, and so now, you see, we have entirely materialistic uh, culture where you're useful to this. You're educated to be useful to the economy. And then you're in the economy for 35 or 40 years. And then you can go take a run and jump at yourself and go off. And, and the next thing, but hang on, it's okay. It's okay, Jerry, because our government, our enlightened progressive government and our enlightened progressive media, they have plans for both of these rooms. They can empty them. One of them will be emptied by abortion and the other will be emptied sooner or later by euthanasia. That is where we're going in this country because there is no humanity left. We have a cadre of politicians who have no humanity. They are absolutely out of control. They are driven. Particularly, I have to say, the female ones. There's something crazy about them. You just look at them. Uh, I won't name them because we're into uh, red light territory here. But we know who they are. And these people, they have no humanity whatsoever. And no love for anybody in Ireland, only for the ideology that they have espoused all their lives and want to impose on every single person in this land. So I sit here and think, I sit here in despair listening to you. I really do. I despair for the generations to come, the youngsters that are in those creches at the moment, the people like ourselves who are in the middle heading to that other room that you talk about. Give us back the bad roads. Let's go back. Get our country back from these people before it's too late. How can we? By by waking up. By waking up. We need to to, to stop this. We need to get our country, rest our country from these people. These people have no... You see... Our country has been run for the benefit of outsiders, multinationals who are here freeloading, tax-free, you know, and they're imposing their will on our people, on our, our government. And we're told, John, oh, sure, aren't they great? Look at the employment they give, and sure, without them, where would we be? Well, we, where we would be, we'd be hopefully thinking for ourselves. We would have developed, if we had had that kind of culture, we would have developed a cadre of, of leaders now who would be capa- capable of running this country in the context of having an indigenous economy. That, is, that has never been considered. We've had foreign direct investment as the sole means of driving our economy for 40 years. And that's a disaster because not alone uh, can it be withdrawn at any time. We're totally dependent on the whim of the President of the United States, whoever it may be. And I think if we wait for term two of Mr. Trump, and it will come, 
we might find some shocking things emanating from that quarter, from our point of view. But even more deeply than that, there is the fact that, you know, to be dependent in this way is wrong in the first place. I mean, the analogy I use about it is that it's like you inherit a shop from your grandparents and there's a flat upstairs. And you think, well, look, I have my life to, to live and I can open a shop. What will I sell? Maybe I'll make watches. Maybe I'll make clocks. Maybe I'll become a shoemaker. And you said, I don't know. Do you know what I'll do? I'll rent it out and live upstairs. That's what we've done. That's our model of economy. That's the cadre of politicians we have. I mean, you see, our understanding of eco- economics is so banal that we don't understand that economics is like, money is like the blood in the human body. It pumps when it's healthy, it pumps into every single limb and, and, and corner of the body. And we have this thing that it's some kind of zero-sum go- game, that we have to get it stuff in or they, from other people or that we won't survive. You know, an economy, like, you know, my, my grandmother had a farm, you know, and, and she, she produced most of the things she needed. And people say, now, oh, this is all very nostalgic. and all. This, she, she produced 90% of what she needed, bread, butter, milk, fruit, vegetables, and so on. And on a Saturday night, the Brady's travelling shop from Elfin, she lived in Cluny Quinn, came by and she brought out two trays of eggs and she exchanged that for the things she couldn't produce, sugar and, and, and tea and so on. That's an economy. There's no other kind of economy. That's what we need to get back to. The idea of producing what we need for ourselves and looking after our own people. But instead, we have turned our country into what Thomas David called a sandbank. It is not a country anymore. It is not a nation anymore. It is a piece of ground on which certain people think they can walk all over the native people. It's time for us to wake up and take our country back. And the only way I think we can do that is by being prepared. There will be another crash very soon, relatively soon. That might be our opportunity, but it will be our last one. You would late lunch on LMFM Radio. Lots of comment for John Waters, and I'm going to read them in detail a little bit later on. But I will just tell you that everything coming to us today is saying, well done. Thank you, John. Thank you for speaking up. And I'm paraphrasing the messages that are coming into us today, and that's coming to you, John, this afternoon from many of our listeners on late lunch. Can I come back to something, because time is going to beat us quickly now, that uh, is very pertinent to to today. And I want to read a quote uh, from the book at at, at this stage. We are slaves of a new kind, indentured to technologies which steal our time, creativity and imagination. Yeah. You're not a social media guy. No, no. Uh, No, this is this is very... These themes are all, by the way, they're all integrated in the book. The book is a kind of a story, as much as it is. Uh, yeah, and I want an to tell analysis. people you've written this book to your father. Yeah. So a lot of the time, I'm I'm comparing I'm, my father's life and his way of being with what's happening now. And he was a, a tradesman. A cra- he, he drove a mail car all most of his life, but he was a mechanic, a trained mechanic, and he was also a carpenter and all kinds of things. So he used his hands, and and. One of the things, ideas in the book is that the use of the hands has been taken away from people. But that was, not alone was that important in its own way, but it was actually hugely formative of people's thinking. Because they encountered the world in a physical way, through their senses. And therefore everything had to be checked. Everything had to make sense. Everything had to be right. You know, if when, the, when the electrician leaves, the lights better work. You know, when the carpenter's done his job, the spirit level better be level, you know, and so on. So, so now we have a different kind of, of society where people who think they're smarter than all those people and they're going around with iPhones, and I have an iPhone, but I don't let it dominate my life. But they do. And they think that because they have it, that they're as smart as the iPhone. 
in a certain sense, or smarter than the iPhone. That is them plus the iPhone is their intelligence. But actually what's actually happening is the iPhone is stealing their intelligence. It's stealing their memory because they're getting lazy. They're not remembering things. They're leaving things to Google and so on. Lots of different things, you know. And they're talking off the top of their heads about things that they don't know anything about. And that makes up for the greater part of of what amounts to a discourse now on Twitter and all this kind of stuff. People abusing one another because... And the abuse comes from a very simple syndrome. It's people who don't know what they're talking about making sure that nobody takes them on. You know when somebody is is like that, they become very belligerent belligerent very soon if you start questioning them because they don't want you to get to the raw nerve of their ignorance. And that's what social media is really about, uh, as well as the anonymity and all that. But all these technologies... So this is a very strong theme in the book about my father, you know. My father, when... He, he, he used to work like something like 18 hours a day like or something ridiculous. He got up at half four and didn't stop until nearly eight o'clock at night. And uh, he and then he worked at the weekend fixing the van because it was always falling apart. But he could do it. Like, and, mm. and I helped him. And there's a lot in about that. Like, and the things he would teach me and how he taught me and what it meant, you know. Um, but he used to go around the town uh, every other day to different places. Uh, there was a guy called Dick Nally. He was a saddle maker. There's a guy called Ned Rock. He was a shoemaker. Uh, you know, there was a, a, scene, a, a, a tailor. There was, down in Balladrine then, there was Paddy Lavin, who was a watchmaker. And he would spend an hour, an hour and a half with those fellas. And I would be with him, you know, and I'd sit down on a bag of meal or on a corner of a, a, a box or something and, and uh, be listening to these fellas. Like. And there's an American philosopher called Matthew Crawford, and I quote him, and he describes this as a... He says, this is a republic. This is a republic where these men who have control of their own talents and of their own humanity, <coughs> excuse me, and of their own, you know, lives <coughs> in a certain sense, but are also aware that their, their lives are given to them. So they're, they're holding those two things together, that they meet and they talk and they discuss what things mean. This was a republic. There was a republic in this country once very briefly in my childhood, and I was in it with my father, but it's not there now. My God Almighty, I, I sit here today and you, I said in the introduction, you are a thought-provoking man and you really are John Waters. And this is resonating hugely with my listeners today. John's been on from Beliver and County Me to say, Jerry, you're an absolutely fantastic guy to have John Waters with you on the show today. I really admire everything he's saying. He's speaking the the truth. Thank you for a great job. Margaret, on from RD. Very enlightening interview. John speaks the truth. Pity we don't have more people like him speaking out and in government are involved with the HSE. I don't think he wants that one, uh, Margaret, to be honest with you. Uh, but we know what you're talking about there, the health. Uh, Jimmy and Dunboyne, congratulations to Jerry on having the foresight to have John on the show. He's a revelation. He's spot on. He's saying the things that we've been saying for years, but we don't have a voice. Yeah. That's the thing, you know. And it, it, that word came up there a few times, truth. We're not even allowed to say there's a, such a thing as truth anymore, you know. But we know what the truth is. It, what I say is not, is not me. It's not what I, as it were, quote-unquote, believe. It's not my, quote-unquote, opinion. I'm telling you the truth that is in my bones that I've experienced all the 63 years of my life in this country. And John, can I ask you this? Again, I want to come back to this. Who is behind all of these point to... Something else or somebody else yes. being beneath this or driving this. Well, Who is that? The book will help a lot of people in this because there's a chapter in it about, for example, the LGBT uh, global 
ideology and how it started and how it developed and how it's all set out there. Mm. I actually quote from early uh, from a book that was written at a very early stage about how they would do what they did. Uh, this is external. I'll just say one thing. Like we have a, a minister for children who's an American lesbian. Why? Why? Why not? Why? Why? How does that happen? And who thought it was a good idea? And what's it about? See, can we ask these questions anymore? Probably not, because you'll be rammed for even well, saying I, that. I, I, there's no chance if I go to America that I end up as Minister for Children of the United States, is there? I don't know, because no. they say it's the land of opportunity. You it's might. Not, not that much opportunity, Jerry. <laughs> Opportunity is the word. Opportunistic but is a fairness, bit more like in it. in fairness to Catherine Zappone, she stood for election. She was a senator first. Then she's elected. She's an independent. She happens to be needed in the numbers to form a government. She's in there and she's given a portfolio. Let me say it a different way, Jerry. I, I'm a father. I have a daughter. And, 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 and I talk a little bit about this. Not as much as I would like to because I can't. But I had a hell of a time, hard time, uh, in, when my daughter was a baby with family law courts and all the rest of it. And I tried to make a case in public in the face of Irish politicians. And very occasionally, strange things would happen. I would be on platforms and I would talk and then the politician would talk. And, and afterwards, he'd say, you're dead right about that. Keep going, you know. Oh, yeah, you're right. But he wouldn't say anything in public. And very often as well, I mean, even stranger things happened. And I won't ever mention the names of these people. Like, uh, it would be a betrayal of trust. But there are at least three or four senior politicians who came to me with specific family problems in this area. And still they did nothing. Oh, it's a world of smoke and mirrors and image and PR and spin and all this type of thing. So I say, you know, if we're really interested in family, maybe I should put it a different way. Why didn't Enda Kenny appoint me to the Senate and make me Minister for Children? Now, there's a question. I don't particularly want to be a minister, but I would be a hell of a lot better minister for children than Tatrin's opponent. I'll leave it at that for today. Thank you indeed for joining me Thank on the you, show. Jerry, the book yeah. is called Give Us Back the Bad Roads by John Waters. I've read and that's it. That's my father on the front I pulling the model T. It's I an amazing photograph. Uh, it's the last chapter that describes what the photograph is about. He's going to sign it and we're going to give a copy away and I'll tell you how you can win that in a wee while on the show. But for the moment, John Waters, where has the time gone? It's been a real pleasure. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much, Jerry. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda. The 191 Renault Runway Sales Event is now on until Saturday, November 10th at your local Renault dealer, Blackstone Motors Drogheda. Come visit us this weekend for great offers. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. 
including low finance, cash back and three years servicing. He's back on Late Lunch and I'm delighted to welcome him again. It's always a pleasure to say hello in the afternoons to Tommy Fleming. How are you, Jerry? Thanks for having me. <laughs> Not at all. Anytime. Anytime this man contacts me, he's in. It's as simple as that. <laughs> well, listen, let's begin at the begin. Voice of Hope. When did you record the original? The original was recorded in Knock Basilica in December 2004. That's how long ago. My word. And yeah. it's an absolute classic. Still selling today and still popular today. Still popular today. I was Every time I look back on it and I think, oh my God, I was 33 when I recorded that. He doesn't look a day over 34. <laughs> yeah, I, you need your glasses, man. <laughs> um, yeah, I was 33 when I recorded the first one. and Sorry, 34. And I'm coming 49 this year. So I'm, I'm almost on the, at, the, at the 50 mark, which I'm not never, things like that don't bother me. But looking back on it, it shows you the, I suppose what I'm trying to say is what I've learned in almost 15 years. And the things that I've kind of, I suppose the things that I've looked back on and the people, when I looked at the first one before we went in to produce the second one, and I looked at the rows and rows of people that I knew that are no longer with us. And that was, that's a bit of a, that's a bit of a kick in the backside, you know, and you're mm-hmm. kind of going, oh, you know, that's life, that's mortality, that's, that's, on, that's, that's how the world goes around. My now. God, Tommy, it, it really does bring it home, doesn't it, when mm-hmm. you mention that and you can see them there and yeah. now all these years on, they've uh, gone on their way. But look, life goes well, on. Life goes on. And the funny one was, not in a funny ha-ha way, the funny thing was when I looked at this, there was the third row and that was the row of family. And that was my parents, my uncles and aunts and two of my sisters and their husbands. Um, the only ones alive in that from that row are two of my sisters and one of the husbands. My and oh my. That's when you look back and go, oh, mm, mm. God, how times have Time changed. is moving yeah. on. It is a real marker. Mm. But here we are today. Here we are today. That's a bit morbid for the Yes, let's the lift the yeah. atmosphere on the show. Yeah. Tommy, 28 years in the business this year you are celebrating and you're as busy as ever and you've come back to Voice of Hope because you have released very recently Voice of Hope 2 yeah um, and the question is always why did you want to do a second one the reason being um, I suppose I've asked so many times are you going to do another one are you going to do another one I have the first one oh it's brilliant I would love if you did something like that again and for a long time, it kind of fell on deaf ears because it was like, I never go down the road I came up. And and even though I still didn't go down the road I came up on this one, I went back to visit it for a while and thought, you know what? Before I get too much older, I think it's time to kind of do it and then put it to bed. And finding the... Um, finding the venue was the... was the I suppose the Achilles heel because... You uh, you couldn't redo it in knock. There was you can't you can't you know you can't ring the bell twice. So I I went for the same kind of setting, but I really wanted to keep it in the west of Ireland. So Galway Cathedral was my next choice. Oh, beautiful, beautiful place! I know it well. I've been in it several times. It's magnificent. It's magnificent. It? Mm. It's absolutely and it, as a setting, not just as a cathedral, not just as a church, but as a setting, it was absolutely beautiful. And like the dome in the middle and we erected the stage right under the dome. So it was it was a, a lightened man's, some lightened men's dreams and another lightened man's nightmare. <laughs> and that takes me on to a question I wanted to ask you about setting something like this up yeah. in a cathedral, a live venue and to do it. There must be a lot involved. There is. Um, 
And the funny thing is, when I did the first one, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I learned a lot in 15 years. So I was now that I'm that was now, I became the producer of the second one. And a lot fell on my shoulders, not just as the performer, uh, as or as the name that's going walking on that stage, but I was the producer of it. So that when when there was a when there was a crisis, I was the go-to. And if there was, it was very it was strange because Tina, who works along Tina, my wife, who I'd be whom I would be lost without, and she was she was the other executive producer with me. So all the crew, all the band and everybody else, before they would get to me, they'd have to go through Tina. And unless it was an absolute disaster, it didn't get to me. <laughs> so in fairness to her, uh, in fairness to Teen, the everything fell on her shoulders and she kind of, he doesn't need to know that, I'll deal with it, you know. And so it was, it was a brilliant exercise of working together with people, the band that have been with me for a very long time, um, you know, the film crew that I have worked with on several projects before, not just concerts, but on films and different things. And I brought loads of them back in. And I think eight of them, ten of them, sorry, were the old crew from Voice of Hope 1. Um, and because I always want to surround myself with people that I know and I can trust and I don't have to double check something because otherwise it's a waste of time, you know. So that's why uh, putting it together is a nightmare. Don't get me wrong. One, it wasn't smooth sailing by any manner of means. And it costs a lot of money. However, if were to say to me, would I do it again? In a heartbeat. I, I, that's me. That's, I, I thrive on that. I've had the album, Tommy, for a number of days now. And I've been listening to the wonderful tracks that are on it. You've picked some classics in there, like Danny Boy. You know, yeah. what a song that is. The West's Awake as well. That resonates so much with Irish people. Um, the Danny Boy was not my choice. I'll be honest with that one, because... I was when I went sitting down with the musical producers with me. Um, I, I kept saying, "Look, we need to find a replacement for Danny Boy." What I meant by a replacement is something as as strong, something as as emotive. And every time I went to the Joe Chibby or you and Cowley, with, who were the producers with the musical producers with me, they said, "There is not another. You can won't find another Danny Boy." And I went, "Okay, I see your point, but let's just go looking." Still couldn't find one. So we decided to do a new arrangement, whereas we always used to do the arrangement with Danny Boy with just one violin and guitar. Um, this time we decided to put the full orchestration in behind it. So we had a full orchestra coming in behind it. And it was, to me, it was stunning. The music behind it was stunning. Um, as, for, uh, as for West's Awake, uh, to me, that's the anthem of the West of Ireland. And I'm born and reared in the West of Ireland and it'll never come out of me. And in many ways, you can take the man out of the bog, but you'll never get the bog out of the man. And I, no matter how many cities I travel to, no matter how many places I've lived, I always come home. And that's what, and it is home. So that's why I, I really want to do the West's Awake. Um, and there's other ones in there that I couldn't leave out, like the Contender, like uh, well, the Welcome. They're all very Irish songs um, written by Irishmen. And it's very much... Um, I suppose I'm very much my own person in that if I make a decision, I stick to it. And if it's if it's a mistake, then it's my mistake. Mm. And I'll carry that and I'll take responsibility for that. But I, I, don't, I, I hope I haven't made a mistake with some of them on this. You certainly haven't made any mistakes. Let's hear The West's Awake. When a vigil key, the West's The West's Alas, and where may 
heart of glass and slumber deep. The lake and place smile fair and free. Meet rocks their guardian chivalry. Sing all oh, that man learn liberty from crashing wind and lashing seas that chainless wave and lovely land freedom man nation will demand be sure the great God never planned for slumbering slaves a home so grand Long and brave and haughty race, honored and sentinel the place. Sing, oh, not even their sons' disgrace could quite destroy their glory's trace. For often, in O'Connor's land. To triumph dashed each Connacht clan and fleet as deep the Normans ran through Cushleave Pass and Orahan and later time saw deeds as brave and glory guards clung recruits grave sing lands to say at Akram slopes and Shannon's waves Tommy Fleming's my special guest on Late Lunch this afternoon and we're chatting about his new album Voice of Hope 2 now you are touring and I wanted to say to you something I noticed you do the church is it called the church tour yeah. you call it yourself the cathedral tour we call it but the Mike and Dolby cathedrals so it sounds a bit more grander when you say it's the cathedral tour. Um, the last few years, lots of people would you, you got lots of requests from would you play our church and and I would never do it only this time of year because it's coming up to Christmas and I know it's six weeks away and I, I don't want to wish life away or wish time away but it's coming up to Christmas and I love Christmas songs. I know what it is. It just and when I sing them, it brings me back to like for example, a holy night. And you can't sing that anywhere, only in a church. And I'm not deeply religious by any manner of means, don't get me wrong. But when I stand in a church and I sing A Holy Night, it brings me straight, and I close my eyes, it brings me straight back to being 10 years of age and on Christmas Eve Mass, and I'm wondering what Santa was going to bring the next morning. And sometimes it's a bittersweet memory, because I, you realise that those times are gone. And then it brings you back to just a lovely time of being when you thought you had nothing, when you realised all of a sudden as an adult you had everything. Um, two wonderful parents who couldn't love you anymore. I was the youngest of the six of us. And it just brings me back there. And it's the simplest little things. You know, like it's like the taste of packs of stuff and brings me back to village child as well. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and they're the things that... Um, I think sometimes they're the things that matter to me. 
From singing in cathedrals to Paxo stuffing. Yeah, yes, no, Tommy uh, Fleming. I should look at you, you know me, I'd say. I know I say you. It as I see it. That's why we love you so much. Now, you're coming to the Dominican Church in Drogheda, yeah. and I want to tell listeners it's on the 6th of December. It's a Thursday at 8 o'clock. And you were down to see the church. I was, and I loved it. And I'm a big man into, uh, I'm a huge, I love art. I have done since I was a teenager. And uh, I loved the, the mosaic on the back of the wall, it's amazing. Um, and then um, Rita, who looks after the place, and Father Jim brought me in back, back at the very back where there used to be a shop, and they basically cleared all that out. And there's a mosaic of the Last Supper. Now it's from eighteen something or other, and um, it was just amazing to see it. And like the one thing I did point out, and I'll probably get shot for saying this, was it's not often you see in a in a painting or a mosaic the original where Mary Magdalene is in the Last Supper and and Jesus is not holding a chalice which was known as the Holy Grail but nobody realised that Mary Magdalene was the Holy Grail so that's that I learned that oh you know your stuff Tommy for sure it's a beautiful church I served there as an altar boy myself for Mm. years and I have very special memories of it as well and I'm sure the acoustic what what do you say I can't wait to be in it I I looked around it last night and um, I just thought wow Mm. uh, this is just beautiful and I can't wait to be back in a few weeks to to play it you know now Tommy is there on the 6th of uh, December which is a Thursday but you did want to mention uh, yeah. something special that the Reverend was telling, that the Father was telling you about last night. Rita and the Father were explaining, I was having a cup of tea and a slice of pie um, and uh, at the huge dining table that's about 200 years old that if I thought I could get it out the door I would have. I, they were explaining to me about a tragic accident about a lad called Tommy Murray. Now I don't know him personally um, or his family but they're it's it, it's it, it it could be very tragic. It's it's very sad, but it's uh, thank God he's alive. And but it's a long road to a very very long road to recovery, from what I've been told. And there's a brilliant fundraiser for him in the on the t- Friday the twenty third of this month, which is going to be in the West Court Hotel, and uh, it's starting at eight thirty sharp. Tickets are twenty euro, and it's this prizes on the night, and there's music and. Um, and it's just, it's a great cause, and I, I I really would love if people would support it. Um, unfortunately, I'm not around myself. If I was, I would come down and support it. Uh, but it's a great great cause, and it would be lovely to see, just to, to see a bit of relief for that for that family, and um, to see that you know that some mornings they can wake up but not worry about bills that are coming in. You know, oh, Tommy, it's really nice of you to say that today. And again, we mentioned that gig, twenty third of November in the West Court Hotel. And it's a fundraiser for Tommy for Murray, Tommy Murray, who had a tragic accident. And it's please God, as I said, it'll be it'll be a long road to recovery for the man, but he'll get there. You know, and he's got three young kids, very small kids, and an adoring wife. And it's it's just it's very tough on them. And it would be great to see that. That they, they they get to get to the other end. Of It'll it, be a sellout. Tommy yeah. Fleming wants that house full on the night, and that is going to happen from his own fans and the general public. I know that. Now, besides Drogheda and uh, the Dominican Church on the sixth of December, where you are, uh-huh. you're coming to Trimwell into next year now. The Knightsbrook on the twenty seventh of January, and then Dundalk, the Carrickdale on the sixteenth of February. And tickets are available. Tickets available um, from all the receptions, uh, from the uh, reception at the Knightsbrook in the, in Trim and from the Carrickdale in Dundalk. Also, you can get tickets from our website because we we, we actually do physical tickets. So you can do it from TommyFleming.net or Ticketmaster, I guess, I, I, I all of the usual outlets. Um, 
and it's, I, I love both of those venues mm. and they've always been a huge success for us when you produce number two just back to the album again for a moment inevitably there are going to be comparisons, comparisons with yeah. the original uh-huh. are you ready for that of course I am but I mean I, I always believe that comparison is the thief of happiness and I've always I grew up in in a house in a home that was never like that it was never in a sense that you were never compared to anybody else and nobody ever was compared to you in a bad or good way and and it always it always reminds me of uh, that's why my that's where that saying came from was from my mother that comparison comparison is the thief of happiness so if people compare that's fair enough and they, some people might love the first one better than the second one and so on and so forth but give it a shot give it a chance and see see what you think of it you know oh you'll love it I promise you you'll absolutely love this album and it's available on DVD and download as and well download as well um, actually for people you know because of the lack of record shops let's say put that put it that way in the country I mean the only ones that are really kind of still going is Golden Discs and what I uh, there's a, a website called uh, ebuzz.ie where you can buy the album and it's great if you go through that site or my own site even it charts so keep it keep me in the charts folks if you're going to get a physical copy you want a physical copy you're not a download person go to ebuzz.ie and they will send out the CD or DVD whichever you and you'll have it within a day or two you're busy, busy. You're touring away at home and abroad and 28 years of magnificent success for you. Millions of albums sold <laughs> an adoring fan club all around the world. You know, you mentioned a moment ago to me when you reflect and look on the original of this and you see all your family who are not here. Do you ever look ahead? Do you ever look ahead to the future yourself and think, where will I be in five, ten? I try not to. Um, I try not to wish life away. Um and somebody, you know, I was when I was up north a few days ago, um, and I have a great friend and a great publicist up there called James Rollins. And James said, "So what are you going to be doing now?" Next, I did, and I said, "You know, James, I said, I'd love to, I'd love to retire at some stage." And he said, "You'll never retire." And I went, I, "Everyone says that to me, but I genuinely would." And I, you know, I love being at home. I love the garden. Um, I love going to the local pub for a session. A music session now and the other session now now and again um i love i love simple simple things i love being able to just get up in the morning go for a run on the beach and people know me that's fair enough but um i i love i just love being at home and i love i love privacy um and that's why somebody i said to somebody once on my 51st birthday i would plan to kind of kick in the retirement um, yeah, I would. Um, my God, my uh, eyebrows have just gone to <laughs> the top of my forehead, Tommy Fleming. I know, I know. Um, there's other things I'd like to do. You know, I'd like to do a bit more theatre. I'd like to do a bit more, um, a bit more acting, and that takes an awful lot of time out of my month or my week or my day or my year. Um, and whereas I touring with with a concert tour is somewhat easier because it's it's one day a day that you've done it and then you move on to another city. Whereas I've, you know, when I'm working on a film, I'm on location. When I'm working in a theatre show, I'm again on location and in that theatre. So um, things like that. Maybe um, uh, we were looking at buying the site at the beside, right beside us, which is about three acres. And I kind of want to, um, I want to build a little farmlet, as I called it, um, a little haven for. I'm, I'm, I, I adore animals, um, my dogs especially. So it's kind of that would be my pastime. Um, 
couple of donkeys, a goat, things like that, and you know, buy buy the hay, buy the hay and the straw from the local farmer, and that's it. You know, he'll and be back. He'll be back doing my organic gardening slot with me in the future, <laughs> Tommy Fleming. Yes, I can see. Do you it. do your organic? I my do. organic garden. Yes, yes, yes. I love it, Tommy. Yeah. I, 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 I have a vegetable garden, Jerry, and I, it's my therapy. Mm. And somebody said, "Well." You know, oh, there's so many musicians and so many actors and they're all in therapy. And I went, why do they go to therapy? Just get a garden and go for a run. You know what I mean? Like just, you know, and I suppose I, I look at things very simple in the fact that some people say to me, you know, like I, I, I very rarely see that glass is half empty. And anyone that comes to me and says, looks at life like the glass is half empty, my answer is always find a smaller glass, fill it and stop bitching. <laughs> I absolutely love it. I think that's the thought to leave everybody with this afternoon. We're going to finish out with another song from the new album, Voice of Hope 2. I will remind you that Tommy's in Drogheda, the Dominican Church on the 6th of December, and then in Trim in January and Dundalk in February. Those dates available, tommyfleming.com. Um, you're going to pick the final song for us. Before we do, I want to give away a copy of the album. I have a copy of the album here. Would you love it? It's hot off the press. How do you win this album? Text or WhatsApp us now to 086-1800-658 and tell me his home county. It's a simple one. What county does he hail from? He's mentioned it several times there. That's the answer to the question. Get texting and WhatsApping. He's a bloody devil. He always does this with me. He makes it too easy. He loves you so much, you see. He really does. Anyway, introduce it. We're going to finish out with another song from Voice of Hope 2, which is... Which is uh, Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. And uh, somebody... I sang this at a funeral one day and I loved it um, of a friend. And anyway, I met a, a fantastic singer and a fantastic lad in Sydney many years ago. Great talent. A guy called Mark Vincent who won Australia's Got Talent in 2009 when he was only 15 actually so I worked with him on a few things over in Oz and um, I invited him to join me on this on this, on this show because it was an association with SBS in Australia as well so Mark arrived over and I heard his version of Hallelujah which was in Spanish and Italian and uh, I loved it so I thought we were sitting down going through ideas so we decided first verse was going to be in English by myself Second verse in Spanish by Mark. And then I thought, do you know what? I'm not allowing somebody come in all the way from Australia and be smart and sing in a different language. You know what I mean? So I'm singing the third verse in Irish. Ah, Tommy, good on you. <laughs> and then we come back. It's a kind of, it's a, there's a bit of a joke. There's a bit of kind of joviality about it. And it kind of it just changes the format of the song. And, and I love it. I loved working with them. And a great young man and a great talent, you know, and I'd love to see him breaking into this hemisphere with with what he's able to do. So hopefully this will give him a help, help and hand along. It absolutely will. Tommy Fleming, hallelujah, you're here today with us. <laughs> Let's hear the song. There, Jerry. Welcome back anytime. <laughs> thanks love a million. You. Not, Honestly, not, Tommy. Thanks a million. And thanks to everybody for the support they've given me over the years. Genuinely, uh, you've no idea what that means. And... You know, it's it just, it means a lot to me, and uh, it means a lot to my family as well. So thanks a million for that. It's Tommy Fleming from the new album Voice of Hope Two, and Hallelujah. I've heard there was a secret chord that David played, and it pleased the Lord. But you don't really care for music, do ya? It goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, the major lift, the 
We're focusing on apprenticeships for the final time this week. It is National Apprentice Week and I'm delighted to welcome back to Late Lunch. You've met him before, Ray Murphy, who's manager of the Regional Skills and Training Centre. And he's joined this afternoon by Neil Rahel, who's a pipe fitting instructor from the Regional Skills and Training Centre as well. Gentlemen, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. If I could start, Ray, with yourself. Good to see you again. What do we say about the Regional Centre, a hub of activity? Absolutely, Jerry. And again, of course, uh, as always, thank you very very much for this opportunity uh, this week to go through our apprenticeship week and and I suppose you know provide uh, as much information as we can for the people out there for our learners for the audience in uh, Loudon Mead and create that awareness of what we do particularly around apprenticeship Uh, and this week has been very very busy uh, and again the opportunity to thank everybody who has come in our apprentices our staff who have brought this together this programme you know our instructors here as well and Elma who has given up their time to come in and talk to everybody and the employers uh, of course you know their valuable time so without those people you know we couldn't actually create this awareness and highlight the positive uh, I suppose interactions that people have with apprenticeship Now you mentioned employers and I want to stop you there because let's have an exclusive for you because there are there is big news for employers that you want to talk about today absolutely I, I know that uh, we are talking about apprenticeship this week but I think it'd be remiss of me to talk about the opportunities are now presenting for employers but of course if it's employers it's also about their employees mm. and that's the key part there's uh, I talked about it briefly the last time but it's come to fruition this particular policy which is called skills to advance and it's been launched uh, it's a working policy and what I mean by that is that it's evolving and changing but at the same time it gives us the scope now in the Regional Skills and Training Centre and LMETB uh, or wider organisation to engage with people in employment uh, to further their particular needs in terms of lifelong learning. So essentially what it means is if a company for various reasons or the employees within have a need for specific skills updating, they can engage, contact us and see what we can do. There are certain criteria. Uh, and for example, if somebody has skills at level five or lower on the National Framework of Qualification, the three essential criteria, they would qualify. If, for example, a company out there thought that maybe they could be displaced, they could be in in terms of falling behind in skills and therefore their business is at risk, we can engage with those. Even if bigger companies come together and there's a sectoral risk or an initiative in terms of their particular sector, we may be able to provide training as well. So I think it's wonderful news and it's just so timely because there are, you know, we're getting to a stage where nearly we've got full employment, mm. you know, and while we're reaching out to everybody, uh, this gives us the, the opportunity to go in and talk to people in employment that is, exists now. Uh, it's going to support productivity, you know, for those companies. Uh, 99% of all companies in Ireland are SMEs. There's a widening productivity gap between those companies and multinationals. So it will help that. It's going to obviously impact our region, development of our region. And most importantly, it's going to respond to the nature of jobs and the skills requirements. They are changing dramatically. And it's it's hard for us to even keep up with those particular skills. We talk about artificial intelligence. We talk about digital literacy and ICT. We talk about the supply chain. We're looking at Brexit across the border. Yeah. How is that going to impact supply chains with a lot of the companies that you know deal with, with, with Europe and the UK? Uh, populations, age. So a lot of things out there are changing the way we work and how we go, go about our business. The two guys were inspiring yes with motor and in terms of the changes there for example electric vehicles Mm. etc so all of those so can we help we hope we can with a lot of people so that message is out there to any employers that might be listening contact us in LMETB 
uh, and see if we can help. Brilliant, brilliant, Ray. We'll be back to you in a moment. Let's bring in Neil Rahel, pipe fitting instructor. So here's the dummies question for you, Neil, this afternoon. What's the difference between plumbing and pipe fitting? It could be a very long answer, uh, Jerry. It's um, I'm actually I'm a plumber by trade originally, but the plumbing itself was always a very very broad part of the training. So they they tend to separate it between domestic and industrial type of plumbing and pipe fitting. But pipe fitting was more on the role of industrial, larger scale. Uh, developments, but because it was so broad, they needed to separate the trade, and that's where LMEP, LMETV took the, the the momentum and and making that change. But like any change, people are reluctant to change, mm. and this has been up and running now in LMETV for since two thousand and fifteen. Um, there's two classes, particularly phase two and phase four of pipe fitting. But the one thing I love about it is 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 the broad range of things. So you can separate it. It's now separated into two trades, but you can probably separate it into four or five trades. It's that skillful. There's that broad. Mm. Particularly pipe fitting, it's more industrial. There's welding involved. The codes of practices are very, very different. The skill sets are very, very different. You're preparing different elements for welders. It's very, very broad. And I was lucky in my training as an apprentice plumber, I would have started off in the industrial setting and then transitioning into the plumbing as well but probably the most important difference is, is the codes of practices are different the skill sets are different and so forth but one of the most important things that I love about it and not just myself is it's easier to transition from pie fitting to plumbing than the other way around because they're learning both skill sets okay so that would be the fundamental difference from my experience so if you were betwixt or between or you weren't sure and you say I might like either or you'd say go for this one first and then you can transition at the future. It, it depends. No, it, it's an interesting question. Uh, in during my career, we used to always discuss with our peers that on paper we're plumbers, but mm. we were doing a lot of pipe fitting for the first two, three years of my training. Yes, and it was always the question. Um, you know, how how do you make the transition? It's just easier to do, basically, from domestic Jerry to let's say industrial. Yeah. You, you, you're doing a lot of commissioning training you might never see the commissioning end of a job but you might be moving on to the next job by fitting in domestic and plumbing it's just as more fault finding and different codes of practices than the, than the domestic industrial but um, but it, you can move you can move I'm just trying to think to myself if you qualify in this how many years does it take to qualify four years okay say you do that and you're working at it for a while and you decide you want to become a plumber do you have to do another four years no no it's a very very good question because we're getting three of the base type of companies employees that come to us at the yeah. moment are plumbing based electrical mm. based or pipe fitting mm. then you might get another company who's fabrication based and pipe fitting now pipe fitting and fabrication are very compatible to work together so we're looking for employees that are thinking of maybe looking on, on starting on the fabrication role but mm. maybe are better suited to do the the the, the pipe fitting role okay it, it, because they're very compatible together yeah. What we're trying to, what we tend to get now is there's a lot of people or employees putting their apprentices through the plumbing apprenticeship, whereas they're probably better suited to do the. Okay, this is the message yeah. you want to get out today. They're better suited be for better. the role as a boyfriend. Okay, okay, okay. So. Um, you mentioned that there are uh, different types of jobs for pipe fitting. The yeah. welding there is one. What else? Welding, well, we do... The, the, the interesting thing about the pipe fitting is we're doing a lot of processes that phase four or phase six plumbing apprentices would do, but we do it way more advanced. So the, 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 what I love about the phase two is section, we're doing a lot of skill sets at a very early, early stage of the apprentice's training, helping to adapt for, for later on. Mm. And what would they be? What would those skills well, be? Well, the welding processes, like welding processes, we yeah. do every welding process there is. There's MIG, MAG, MMA, stick. So I don't want to go into the details. A load under the, the umbrella processes. of welding as well. Yeah, yes. there is all those processes. Having said that, 
we don't want them to be welders hmm. because if you if they're going to be welders, it takes away the discipline, the poi yes. fitting. So it's an, it's an interesting question because a lot of the apprenticeships now, particularly poi fitting, it's how they're perceived. It's how hmm. a trade is actually perceived and what it is. If someone who's unfamiliar with a skill set if they look at what we actually provide the LMB for centre what we do every day to mm. show these employers what they're actually doing particularly people like myself or people before me who are plumbers by trade they'd see all the certain skills that we provide at this early stage of phase 2 plumbers mm. who are phase 4 phase 6 would have never even been close to doing the amount of processes okay. that we do okay. but it's, it, it's, it's a new trade and mm. it's a change and people are holding back I think what's happening now and it's now evolving is, as well it's evolving step Ray. by step yeah uh, and it's very interesting listening to Neil you know go through I suppose the different uh, trades and, and, and there is isn't there uh, I suppose Neil the fact that uh, how would you the layman here walking down to the workshop and seeing the astounding work that Neil and, and the apprentices go through in terms of presenting huge diameter pipework ready for welding so if you if you, the way I kind of look at it is if you're looking at industrial type pipe fitting you're talking about all specific types of pipework flanges you know, I suppose connections to carry or transmit any gases and fluids. Mm. So if you think of the big pipework, different right, materials yeah. as well. Yes, oh, absolutely. In terms yeah, yeah. of stainless steel, your steel. So anything that transmits, you know, a kind of a gas or a fluid or yeah. anything at all, you're thinking about those industrial type scenarios. You know, in a lot of the bio, the pharmaceutical, the oils, all of that type of work. Whereas our plumber, I suppose, from this layman's perspective, is you're thinking about your hot and your cold and your domestic situation, yes. your baths, your heating, etc. Yeah, but uh, it's it's a stone to watch Neil and the guys walk below and, and you see that kind and you of think pressure. of these big projects yeah. you know pipeline for carrying water supplies you know and in conjunction with road building opening up industrial estates you know housing areas all that type of yeah, thing yeah no a picture paints a thousand words he, uh, Ray made a good point you don't have to be in the trade or to know how to appreciate yes. an aesthetic or a discipline or yeah. one skill set you know kind yeah. of way. but I always find it's, it's how a trade is perceived if you think of the word pipe fitting what it means is when you think of piping as a word it's just, it just it can mean many different things yes. flanges, valves mm. connections we're just trying to get across there's a lot of companies out there that are unsure where to put their employees you've mm. got a fabrication company out there at the moment who have merged with a, a, a pipe fitting company they're merging together they need fabricators and yes. pipe fitters but what I really like about it is it does the trade because it's so broad it does challenge other trades like mm. it has fabrication in it mm. it has tool making in it it has plumbing in it it has welding in it it challenges so many other good trades and that's me being a plumber by trade myself <laughs> can say that with a passion for this yeah. have you plenty of people interested? yeah yeah. We've the numbers are up now again it, it is a new trade like if you look at the the plumbing electrical carpentry the, the numbers are always higher at them but because the plumbing uh, the pipe fitting is new it's going to take a, a few years but the numbers are up we're, 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 we've been here three years so far well that's, that's a very good point Jerry. Uh, as we're aware apprentices obviously need to find their employer and the sponsor and I suppose the capacity that we have below uh, within the regional skills training centre is dictated by, by the demand and at the moment, I'm, I'm talking about 2019, already Neil is booked up for his two intakes mm. p- per year. Mm. And the other point he mentioned earlier on about phase four, and that's very important. We are probably yeah. only the, the only ETB in the country delivering pipe fitting also at level, at phase four. That's important. And that's three intakes next year. They're all booked up. I've just actually been speaking mm. to Solis on the way down the car saying, are we certainly okay for this plan next year? We want growth. And the more people that register, companies and the interest is there, and the more apprentices the only way it will be up in terms of yes. facilities etc. Lads have to leave it there for today that's the end of our feature on apprenticeship for this year thank you Ray and all your people as you said at the beginning for joining us this week I've really enjoyed it Neil thank you for dropping in today to Thanks, talk Jerry. about a new trade as well we wish you well and leave you with the message 
consider apprenticeship. Contact the people. And Ray, you can be contacted where? Many different ways. Uh, the Regional Skills and Training Centre, the phone number, uh, our website, email, social media, Facebook, Twitter. Any amount. And LMETB mm-hmm. also, obviously. There's so many pipes going into the place. Sorry <laughs> for the pun. I couldn't resist very that good. one there. Anyway, thank you very much again for joining us on the show thank today. You, uh, Thanks, Neil Rahal and Ray Murphy. Now, the winner of the CD is Jared Bradley. Sligo was the answer. You win the new Tommy Fleming, uh, Voice of Hope 2. And Louise, uh, John Waters' book is going where? Going to Nolene Sweeney in Kilcrony, Ready Penny in Dundalk, Jerry. Well done to you, Nolene. Enjoy the book. It's absolutely fantastic. Anyway, that's a lot on Late Lunch for another week. Thank you very much for your company during the week. Thanks so much to our listeners who join us every day, to our guests on the show all week, to our regulars, to our contributors. Thank you so much. You make the show what it is. To my producers, Sinead Brazel and Louise Walsh, thanks a million. And all I'll say is have a lovely weekend. Take care of yourself. It's stormy out there at the moment. Have a safe one and come back and join us for a brand new week of Late Lunch from Monday at half one. See you then. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda. The 191 Renault Runway Sales Event is now on until Saturday, November 10th at your local Renault dealer, Blackstone Motors Drogheda. Come visit us this weekend for great offers including low finance, cashback and three years servicing. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at lifemd.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.